0: So in thinking about the CBDC potentiality, the central bank digital currency, the thing that occurs to me, like you have this centralization trend, which is on some basic level necessary as you have larger and larger populations. So in order to manage large populations, and when you have like an integrated global economy, you know, it makes sense on a practical level to try to manage the individual nodes the individuals as effectively as possible and particularly when there's corrosion within a system and you have a lot of let's say bad actors so crime for instance you know and a lot of use of money that's maybe not for the the best purposes <laughs> the reasoning in order to establish something like central control is difficult to resist for a lot of let's say management types right but here's the thing, like, the establishment of a system can be based upon noble, and I'm not saying it is, right? But it can be people who are truly concerned with trying to make a system that's more functional in the present system are trying to design something that will work better. But once something is established, it's inevitable that Opportunists of the most vicious type will find a way in and take it over. That's the problem with human institutions. Just in general, there's no way to stop it from becoming corrupted because once it's established and it has power and that, you know, and essentially it's enfranchised in law, well, then there's a motivation for the most vicious and cunning who are power players to work their way into those uh, establishments. So that is unavoidable, in my opinion. There's no way to legislate your way out of that. And this is the whole problem with, you know, trying to use legislation as a way of solving a problem. It, I mean, I think probably the only reasonable recourse would be, of course, uh, a, a similar problem. You know, education seems like the best way to go, but you have to institutionalize a program of education and then it's screwed, right? So it really is the case that fundamentally um, a decent society is based upon the integrity of the people writ large and not the institutions, Right? There's a feedback loop between the two, but without the integrity of the people, you can't have accountability within the institutions. So once the integrity of the people is lost, then forget it. It's done. So the other consequence to this that I just realized, and that's why I'm inserting this uh, different audio here, is that when an institution inevitably becomes corrupt, its original mandate, whatever that may have been, may have had some pure intent and it may have served some kind of basic social function but but because the corruption has taken place it can now be used as a way of discrediting the validity and legitimacy of the original intent so you know one of the examples that comes to mind is capitalism in general or maybe you could say the banking system you know there are definitely some benefits to having a banking system but the bankers are outrageously corrupt and so there's a way in which you know we could imagine the banking system being essentially discredited on mass and therefore you know, this sort of paves the way for some new system to be slid in. Isn't that essentially both uh, the cryptocurrency argument and potentially the CBDC argument? It's it's one of the pieces of it, right? That the banks are corrupt, and so we need a, a new system. And, and there's a legitimate argument there, right? But the problem is that sometimes you have the so-called baby thrown out with the bathwater. So, you know, a lot of the people who make arguments against capitalism are doing a similar type of thing. The question is, like, whatever it is that replaces capitalism, is it going to be better or worse? It's going to be better for some people and worse for some people. Now, I happen to think that the capitalist argument is fallacious, because ultimately, there's no way to uproot the most deeply entrenched capitalists. So, what you'll probably get is essentially a capitalism that's operating at the highest levels of the elites, and then everyone else is plunged into a kind of uh, totalitarianism, I guess, something along those lines, which I think is actually a recapitulation of the evolutionary biology thing. You know, my sense is that cell collectives got engaged in voluntary relationships, which eventually under pressure became compulsory. And then like you could say, basically the nervous system took control over these uh, specialized cell colonies and coordinated them and essentially enslaved them to a particular purpose the purpose of the nervous system. So you can say the network that manages to establish control over the various nodes, uh, it's the one that gets to kind of call the shots and everyone else is essentially in a totalitarian nightmare. Okay, back to the original audio. Now here's the thing that's really interesting. If it's the case that social evolution is a recapitulation of biological evolution, in other words, the kinds of things that we're seeing happening within human society as a result of the specialization and interdependence of different cohorts of society, you could say different organs of society, and the pressures that come to bear on the basis of population, energy resource and all that kind of thing which form these let's say coercive types of of measures for various organs of society if it's the case that the establishment of social institutions necessarily results in drawing the attention of for you know a way of simply saying it is evil intent, those who want power and are willing to use whatever means necessary in order to get it, and any institution becomes a target of that power, of that type of of, uh, consciousness, that type of person, is it the case that a similar thing happened in the development of the Eucharitic cell that brings about the so-called higher organisms? And could we say that that is one way of describing, not necessarily the evil character of life, but the evil component within life. So we struggle as a species with our own evil. And there is something malevolent within each of us. You could say that that's the Jungian shadow. Is that an inherent property from the construction of a entity that has to coordinate specialized cohorts and which attracts an evil energy on the basis of the systems that it establishes. Now, evil may be an incorrect term. In a way, what you're talking about is the most effective seizing of power. And quite often that comes from the... Lower position. So, for example, you know, the reason why the cartels are so dangerous is because they have learned their craft in some of the toughest environments in the world. And so, if you can survive from where these folks come from and prevail and build something that has enough power to actually start to infiltrate, let's say, the banking system, which is essentially what's happened, well, you know, that's <laughs> that's an undeniable kind of power. And the wreckage in the wake of that, so, you know, all of the addicts, all the people whose lives are destroyed on the basis of the of the product that builds the wealth of these cartels, not to mention the various types of uh, power moves that have to be made in order to infiltrate institutions. So, you know, there's some ugly business that goes on in organized crime, right? But from the point of view of the cartel or the mob, the, this is simply the necessary action in order to play the game effectively. And someone's going to occupy the seat of power, and so it may as well be the most effective players, right? That's kind of the Machiavellian rule, which appears to basically hold true in reality. It's extremely difficult to get control over people who have no... uh, the, The kind of rules that the institutions promote are ones that they don't follow. They follow a code of conduct within their own organization, but they don't have to follow any of the rules outside of the organization. You could say that from their point of view, following rules outside of their organization is for chumps who aren't really playing the big boys' games. That's probably the way it's viewed, right? Even though, you know, the result is a rather vicious world. And that's the reason why the spiritual stance is dominant over the power stance. So spirituality says, well, it's not worth fighting over this stuff because what you end up doing is creating a malevolent world. And so it's better to just go gently into that good night than it is to try to prevail when it turns into a shitstorm. And that's true. Why would anyone want to live in a hellscape? And, and if, you know, the power players are the ones who fundamentally end up creating the hellscape, even though their game is the one that's necessary in order to prevail materially. I mean, this is why, in essence, the material world is the thing that produces evil, because it's the attachment to that that is driving this sense that you have to be powerful. Whereas you know if you if you just recognize that we just get born into this life and happen to show up where we happen to show up and we get to have this experience for some period of time and it doesn't really matter whether that period of time is 10 years or 80 years right you can have a shitty experience for 80 years and you can have a wonderful experience for 10 years which is better and quite often it's the people who have a shitty experience who are the ones who who believe in this kind of malevolent power play type of a vision of things like you know it's no coincidence that some of the more powerful people in the world like George Soros and Henry Kissinger they had some pretty shitty experiences as kids in a certain way you could say well they were valuable experiences they taught them some super hardcore life lessons that they applied effectively and you know through probably a certain amount of happenstance but also determination and hard work they figured out a way to to prevail. But to what end? (laughs) You know, like, what was the world that they ended up creating in their wake? So that cuts about to the core of many of the things that that I see going on. That's kind of the overall set of connections. And, And because the body, of course, is itself something that's attached to the material, just by definition, it makes sense that it would have a kind of malevolent nature to it. You know, there's something, and particularly as you get older, you kind of recognize like, oh, this, this thing is kind of terrible, <laughs> this, this, this physical body thing. And, and in, you know, over time, the body does, no matter what you do, it gets a, to be a more and more inhospitable place to be. That's just a fact. Like, I don't care how well you take care of yourself, things gradually break down, you know. And by the time you get to, so, to something like George Soros's age, you know, you're kind of like a rotting sack of meat, basically. <laughs> you know, that's pretty much what what we old people are. I'm, I'm including myself in that category. I'm, I'm just entering the old part of my life. And I'm not doing particularly well at it. I, I made some efforts to try to preserve the body reasonably well. but And I guess in some respects I'm doing okay for my age. But in other respects I'm definitely prematurely rotting. So, we'll see. How this goes, but I think it's you know good to be good-natured about this process of aging and death. That seems to be perhaps one of the most important lessons that we can learn in life, and maybe avoid some of the horrible things that you know. I think in general, if humanity had a more philosophical disposition about its aging and death, uh, we would be in a better position now. We wouldn't have created such a gigantic mess. Anyway, that's my two cents relatively brief message. I hope you found it interesting uh, if you're um, if you would like to assist me in these efforts, please hit like button, subscribe buttons, pass it around, share it social media, all that kind of stuff. If you want to be notified whenever something pops out of my let's say little production facility here, you can subscribe at taijireality.substack.com. You can also materially support these efforts on Substack, .substack taijireality.substack.com, or you can go to patreon.com slash taijireality. You can send a one-time donation to taijireality at gmail.com on PayPal. And, uh, And that'll be it for today. Thanks for listening.